Good evening. Man, singing is beautiful. So beautiful. I love that last note, you know, when it's, everything just goes quiet except for that one last note and it just kind of echoes through the whole building. I love that. Well, I hope you've had a good afternoon. I, I think it's, it's safe to say that it's been a good day here today. It's been a good week. I think about all the things that have happened over the course of a week. Uh, last Wednesday night, I remember Taylor Gillespie came forward and uh, that was a great thing. And then was it early Saturday morning, our team left for El Salvador. And then this morning, a uh, very, very special morning uh, when Christina came forward this morning, Christina Sayer, and was baptized into Christ. And we're so glad and so thankful to God for all the things that, that are going on here because it's not anything we're doing. It's certainly the power of God, and that's evident. And uh, anyway, it's been a great week. I hope you'll take your Bibles this evening. We're going to be in the book of Acts. The book of Acts chapter 9 is where we'll begin. Tonight I have um, an outline for you, and I know that some guys were up passing those out. If you didn't get one of those, it's kind of a half sheet of paper, and the title of the lesson tonight is One Too Many. So if you don't have a sheet of paper that's got some blanks on it, raise your hand real high and somebody will get you one of those at this time, maybe, hopefully. It's happening. Good. Thank you guys. You guys, raise your hand. Just be patient with us and and bear with us. Tonight we're going to continue to emphasize the importance of of being immersed in Scripture. Um, way back in January, we kicked off a Bible study uh, program uh, we we're calling Immersed in Awe. And uh, it's designed to help us all study through the New Testament together, the New Testament and Psalms and Proverbs. And now here we are in March, and I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands. I guess I could. But how many of you have gotten behind? Look at all of you raising your hand. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. I'm just kidding. But anyway, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I wonder, here we are in March, I wonder how many of you have gotten behind, or how many of you are still on track. And uh, I guess honesty is the best policy here. I know at least one person who is behind, me, okay? So, uh, and so here's what I propose tonight. Uh, if there's anybody else out there like me, and I wouldn't wish that on anybody, but if there's anybody else out there like me who's gotten a little bit behind in their daily Bible reading, whether that's a week or a month or 72 days behind, you can't be any more than that. Um, I want to personally challenge you, myself included here, to jump back in and study this week. Don't worry about going back to day 15 or day 42 or wherever you are. Just jump in at lesson 72. Now, for those of you who are with it, that's where we're supposed to be this week. And so... um, the rest of us, we'll just be like those people that, that cut in line in front of you at the amusement park and try to play it off like they're supposed to be there. Y'all ever had that happen to you? That's what we'll do. And uh, y'all, y'all noticed those people before, right? So uh, tonight, tonight's message is going to come from some of the reading uh, that we're supposed to be doing together this week. And for those of you who are more disciplined than the rest of us, you are in the book of Acts, uh, round about chapter 9, and that's where we're going to be tonight. And, uh, and, and by the way... What an exciting book to study. It's, that's a reward for those of you who've stuck with it, because the book of Acts is, is just awesome. And the rest of you guys, um, you ought to be commended. Keep up the good work, and thanks for setting a good example to the rest of us uh, by staying on track, studying your Bible. Because in reality, we, in reality let's face it, um, the immersed book isn't really the big deal. The holy book is the big deal, right? So whether you do this or not, let's stay in this book. So, um, I want you to think for just a minute about some of the greatest superheroes that you can remember growing up. All right, is it ringing some bells? Um, 
Some of the superheroes that you remember primarily worked alone, like guys like Spider-Man and Superman and uh, the Incredible Hulk and Iron Man and I guess what Captain America most of the time, right? Um, those guys worked alone primarily. Other superheroes, though, like Batman and Robin, were partners in fighting crime. They were the dynamic duo. They were a team of two. And still other superheroes worked in teams. I guess ones like the X-Men and ones like the Fantastic Four and my first personal favorite, Scooby-Doo and the Harlem Globetrotters. What was that about, right? When we think about superheroes from childhood, we learn a few things. We begin to see the difference that one person can make, the difference that two people can make, and the difference that a group can make. And tonight, I want us to look at three different stories that come from the readings this week. One story is about the power of one, when one person made a difference. Another story is about the power of two. The the third story illustrates the might of many and what happens when a group comes together for a common purpose. Like I said, the first story is from Acts chapter 9. And if you're not already there, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. I shared this story with some of the high school group this past week, but I really think it's a powerful story worth looking at. Picture this. You're a new Christian, and you totally left behind the sinful lifestyle that you were leading for so long. You've made real changes. You've even cut off ties with some of the guys that you used to run with because you know that they won't go for this whole new belief system that you've adopted. And so you're looking for a new set of friends, some Christian friends, good, positive influences. And so you decide to get to know some. You do a little digging and you find out when and where they meet for worship. And you even show up 15 minutes early, hoping to make some new friends. You enter and you begin to kind of scan the room and look around. It's packed. A short line of guests has formed around a table filled with food. You notice four women bouncing around from place to place. They look busy. One serves food. Another dishes, another takes dishes, another tidies up the seating areas, another is carrying a pitcher of water. Your eyes dart to the back right corner of the room where you spot a group of children playing a game. In the other corner, you, you notice a group of teenagers talking about, well, whatever teenagers talk about. You notice those things going on in the room. This is your first visit to this type of assembly, and needless to say, it's a little bit awkward. But you push through trying to make this Christianity thing that was once so far outside of your comfort zone something, well, comfortable. But things were about to get a whole lot more uncomfortable. You're clumsily trying to figure out where to go and and where to sit or who to speak to when to your delight you're greeted by an elderly couple. They seem nice. You You tell them your name. Their expression changes. They've heard of you. They politely excuse themselves and it doesn't take long before others in the room begin to stare. And a few mothers grab their children playing that game in the corner and they head in the opposite direction of you. A hush has come over the room. More stares, whispers. A few of them casually even slip outside the door. You pretend not to notice. But it's obvious that these people are afraid of you. What's happening? Aren't these brothers and sisters in Christ? Wouldn't they welcome you into their fellowship? with handshakes and smiles? Why these stares and avoidance? What would you say if I just described a similar experience that someone had when they encountered the church that we read about in God's Word? 
Whoa, that strikes a nerve with me. Surely not. Not the New Testament church, not the church that I read about in the Bible. They would never treat anyone like that. I agree with you, it's hard to believe. But look at Acts chapter 9, verse 26. Acts 9, 26. And when he, that is the Apostle Paul, the new Christian from our story, when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Paul walks into their midst, and keep in mind that he used to put these people to death, so think about how weird this is. Now he wants to be their best friend. All right, talk about getting things started on the wrong foot. Talk about a bad first impression. To them, Hitler has just come into their assembly and filled out a visitor's card, right? The killer of the Christians. But Paul is trying to make some new friends. And what do they do? Well, they don't welcome him, do they? They know who he is and they don't trust him. To them, he's not a Christian. In their minds, this had to be some kind of scheme to drag more of more of them off to prison to be killed because to them that's exactly who he is, a murderer. But tonight's message is about the power of one. Look at verse 27 with me. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Wow. What did Barnabas do for Paul? How important was Barnabas in the life of Paul? Wouldn't it be great if you could ask him? Wouldn't it be amazing? Paul, tell me why Barnabas means something to you. What would his answer be? Say, Barnabas believed in me when nobody else did. Barnabas gave me a shot. He gave me a chance. He was my friend. He vouched for me. He made me feel like I mattered. Because of Barnabas, I felt like I belonged. Or consider this. How differently would the Apostle Paul's story read if it wasn't for Barnabas? I don't know. Maybe he would have made those missionary journeys, but it would have been a lot harder for him to win the Apostles over if Barnabas hadn't vouched for him. Remember, it it said that he went to the Apostles and said, hey, this guy's for real. His conversion is legit. Let me tell you about it. I believe that because of Barnabas' encouragement to Paul, we read these verses. Remember those Christians that kind of turned their back on him? Those Christians that were afraid of Paul? Look at verses 29 and 30. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. We're talking about Paul here. But they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Now the brothers have a different attitude about Paul here than the one in verse 26, before they were afraid of Paul joining them, but now they were afraid of losing him. What's the difference? The power of one. Barnabas vouched for Paul. Let me make a quick point to you this evening. Kind of a side point. Be a Barnabas. Be a Barnabas. I guarantee you that you'll never forget those people. Those people who stood by your side when nobody else would. Those people who gave you a shot when everybody else turned their back on you. Others might judge you or make fun of you or write you off or talk about you bad behind your back or desert you or hate your guts. But then there's that one person, right? That one person who didn't deserve you. There's Barnabas. Let me ask you, who's someone who's been a Barnabas to you? I'll say it again, you'll never forget those people that stood by your side when nobody else would. Barnabas shows us the power of one. 
One person can make a huge difference. This sounds like a question you'd hear in kindergarten, but everybody needs to ask it. Who do you know that needs a friend? Who do you know that needs a Barnabas? You can make a difference in their life. Do something. There are several other Bible stories that teach us the power of one. We're talking about the power of one. How about Noah? God's ready to destroy and wipe out all of mankind. But one man, what's the Bible say? Found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And of course, there's the ultimate example of Jesus. One man, the one and only, the only begotten son, the one perfect sacrifice, one purpose to come to earth for a little while and change everything forever. There's the power of one. But let's take a look at the power of two. What about the power of two? Remember all those stories that come from the readings that we're going to do this week, right? Th- these are all coming from there. Turn with me to Acts chapter 11. Acts 11. You'll read this this week, hopefully. Acts 11, starting in verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this, verse 22, the report of this, what report? Pick back up to 19. Jews are being reached, and in verse 20, Hellenists or Gentiles are now being reached. This is what you call a good thing. Everybody's being reached. So back to verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Here's our boy Barnabas. Verse 23. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. I'm telling you, Barnabas was one impressive guy. Because just glance again at what we just read. Verse 22, the church in Jerusalem is looking at this situation. All these people are being reached. Everything is going great. The church in Jerusalem sees this situation as a mission field. A great mission opportunity. The field is white. And think about how neat this would be. How how impressive this would be. How much of an opportunity this would be to a guy like Barnabas. Hey Barnabas, you're a good man. You're full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith. We want you to encourage these new Christians. That's flattering, right? We want you to take this job on. Think how easy it would have been for him to have the big head. Wow, they love me. I'm kind of a big deal. I'm going to go over there and, and be the man. It'll be the Barnabas show. That'll be what's up. No way. Not Barnabas. Look what he does instead. Look at verse 25. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he'd found them, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. We looked at the power of one in Barnabas, but now look at the power of two. Because now we have a mission team We have the original dynamic duo. We have Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas and Paul were quite a team. Let me give you an idea of what their resume looked like. Here's some of the things they were able to do together and to accomplish only by the power of God. They spent a whole year with the church in Antioch teaching many people. It was an effective ministry, and the faithful disciples there were making waves in their town. And it was there that the disciples had been given a new name, 
Christians. Notice they were called Christians. They didn't call themselves Christians. Other people saw the way that they were living and they were called Christians. Barnabas and Saul hand-delivered relief from the Christians in Antioch to those in Jerusalem when a famine swept through the land. In Acts 13, verse 2, we have this very cool verse where God decides to use these two men in a powerful way. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. God says, I've got big plans for you too. And so Saul and Barnabas set sail on what would be known as Paul's first missionary journey. I don't know why we don't include Barnabas there. But Paul's first missionary journey. They preached all over the island of Cyprus, and I won't spoil it for you. There's a very cool story that I wish we had time to study about a guy named Sergius Sergius Paulus and a magician named Elymas. And from there, Barnabas and Paul went to Antioch and Pisidia and preached in the synagogue there. And a great number of people believed, and they eventually are driven out of the town. So they go preach at Iconium. And things are going really well until they found out about a plan in the works to stone them to death. That'll ruin your day, right? And so they left from there to preach in the cities of Lystra and Derbe. After a miracle in in Lystra, the people think that Barnabas is the Greek god Zeus and that Paul is the Greek god Hermes, the messenger god. And notice the little g god there. Paul was the speaker and so they, they referred to him as Hermes, the messenger god. The people are going nuts and everybody's going crazy. And when they finally convince the people that they're just ordinary men with an extraordinary message, the Jews that were from Iconium and Antioch, they come back to haunt Paul and Barnabas. They stir up the crowd and they have Paul stoned and left for dead. But the next day, Paul's back at it again. He meets up with Barnabas in Derby and he preaches the gospel there. They make many disciples and it would have been easy to stay, but for some reason they decide to go back to the cities they'd just been run out of to preach, to encourage the brothers, and to appoint elders in all the congregations, Acts 14, 23. They go back to Lystra, where Paul was stoned. They go back to Iconium. They go to Antioch, and they tell them about the trials that are going to come. Paul probably just pointed to the scars on his face and on his body. And most importantly, they told them that the trials that were coming would bring opportunities for them to show their faith. There's so much more. So much more that we could say about Paul and Barnabas. But do you see the power of God working through two? Great power. Yes, you might be forced to fight some battles alone at times, but many times God provides a faithful companion to help lighten the load. Think of Adam and Eve. At creation, God said to Adam, what? It's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper, a helpmate fit for him. Think of Moses and Aaron. Moses said, I I can't do it. I'm not a great speaker. God says, take your brother Aaron. How about Joshua and Caleb? How about Elijah and Elisha? How about Deborah and Barak of Esther and Mordecai, Jonathan and David and Joseph and Mary? And we could go on and on, but God uses two. And those are just biblical examples. We haven't even talked about the people that you and I know in our world today. Think of all the great friendships, all the great partnerships, all the great marriages that we look at and we admire within the kingdom today. And it's such a blessing when you have a friend to stand beside you in the fight. Paul and Barnabas. We're such friends. We're such a team. And finally, as we wrap things up this evening, finally, just a moment, let's look at the power of many. Look, at me, look, look with me at another story from the reading this week in Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. 
he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put Peter in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. All right. We're talking about the power of many here. In verse 5, the church is praying earnestly. It's many people coming together to do something. They're asking God to work. And here we go, verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. And sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. Time out. That's kind of funny. I don't know if he kicked him or punched him, but did you notice the angel kind of gets Peter's attention? Hey, what what are you doing? Smack. And Peter yawns and kind of rubs the the sleep from his eyes. Hey, what was that for? Hey, oh, hey, you, you're glowing. Am I dreaming? He says, Come on, get up. Get up. It's time to go. Make it fast. Back to the rest of verse 7. The chains fell off his hands. The angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. Peter's thinking, man, this dream is so lifelike, (laughs) right? Verse 10, when they passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and has rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. Okay, finally Peter's awake. Verse 12. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying, the power of many. Verse 13. "When When he knocked on the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, thinking, man, this is getting old, let me in. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. Verse 17, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. I wish we had more time to look here as well, but but let me make a, a great, obvious point from this story. Great things happen. Great things happen when the church comes together to ask God to be God. Great things happen when the church comes together and asks God to do his thing and to do what he always does. Here God answered the prayers of his people by rescuing Peter from a death sentence. Yes, God uses one. Yes, God uses two. But God uses three. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He used 12 to take his gospel into the entire world. He used Gideon's army of 300 to take out a giant military power. He used an entire nation, the Israelites, the people of, in the Old Testament. And today, God uses the church. Yes, God will use just one person. And yes, he'll use just two people. But the good news is God has given us the church, the kingdom of many. He's given us each other. You're not alone. And you may feel like you are, but you're not. 
You're not even close to being alone. We're a body, the Bible says, made up of many members. Great things happen when the church comes together to ask God to be God. She didn't tell me to say this and probably doesn't want her name attached to it. But Michelle Myers took the lead on something this past week. You guys know that we've got a team of 39 in El Salvador working for the Lord. Michelle did something simple but but powerful. For every hour that they're going to be away, she put together a list of time slots to where people could sign up to pray over our team for every hour that they're going to be gone. And as of yesterday, there were only two slots left. And we're talking about... 6 a.m., 3 a.m., 6 p.m., every hour except for two were filled. Great things happen when the people of God come together to ask God to be God. And there's there's even better news than that. God sent his one and only son to be the one who paid the price for every one of your sins. We've only got one life to live on earth. And tonight could be the one night that changes everything. Don't let one more day, one more minute, or one more opportunity slip away. The only one moment that you're guaranteed is this one. And even if there's one person tonight that would respond to make things right with God, nothing could be better. If tonight you'd like to become a Christian or ask for the prayers of this congregation, please come as we stand and sing. supper this morning. It is has been prepared. We'd ask that you would please exit the rear of the auditorium as we sing this next the next two songs. We're going to sing number 99 and number 100 together. And after we complete uh, the last song, Holy Ground will be led in a closing prayer.
It's good to see everyone here. Again, we thank you for joining in on the internet stream and 